Anyways, Galatians chapter 4 this evening. Amen. Uh, and uh, we're going to read verses 17 through 31. This is an interest, really a wonderful, interesting passage of Scripture uh, of an allegory. You know what a wonderful thing about an allegory in the Bible? The Bible tells us it's an allegory. And uh, I love <laughs> that many times people try to make allegories. And uh, I'll explain that here in just a moment. But uh, anyways, people try to allegorize the Bible and uh, derive and pull out truths that really aren't in the passage of Scripture. And so we ought to be, uh, as we look at the Bible, I'm going to say the Bible speaks what it speaks, right? If I'm talking to you, you're going to take what I'm taking at face value. You're not going to try to find some hidden meaning behind it. Uh, the Bible, when it's telling us, it's not trying to be uh, discreet or secretive. No, it's telling us what exactly uh, it's meaning. And so, unless there, it tells us otherwise. Uh, so here in uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 17, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now, and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. Now this is obviously speaking of Hagar and Ishmael. But he of the free woman, that's Isaac and uh, Sarah, uh, was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which, above, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not, break forth and cry. Thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And uh, let's ask the Lord for his blessing upon this time, and I'll explain this passage of Scripture, a uh, wonderful passage of Scripture again, as the Apostle Paul is hitting home at grace and law. Grace and law. And law. So we're going to talk about that further again. Galatians is really the whole uh, book is a letter to the church of Galatia that is fighting uh, what is the Judaizers and those who are bringing in legalism uh, and trying to bring the people into bondage. And Paul will have none of it. And so he tries all sorts of different methods, uh, different analogies and illustrations and sarcasm and many different uh, tactics to get the people to understand where their loyalty ought to be. And tonight, the message is entitled, Loyalty Undermined. Let us pray and ask the Lord for his blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, for this evening. Lord, I need your help. Father, I pray that tonight's message would be clear. I pray, Father, that it would be understandable. Lord, that you'd help me to speak slowly. I pray that you'd help me to speak in a way that would be uh, clear and, and just, uh, Lord, that it'd be encouragement to us. Father, that it would also be something that would enrich our lives from your word. 
Father, I need your help. You, you work through me. You work through the speech and all the words that are said and my thoughts. Lord, we dedicate this time to thee. We trust, Lord, you've been pleased in the singing and in the prayer time that will follow, Lord, that this is just a time that we as believers in the midweek come together to honor and praise you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Loyalty subverted here. The deceivers and their goal. The Apostle Paul now pauses here in verse 17. And he looks at the people who are doing all of the damage. They zealously affect you. And uh, the idea is of courting someone or being zealous. They're, they're very fervent. Here he's talking about these Judaizers, these legalistic people. And when, I mean, when someone says, oh, they're a legalist, the, the terminology of legalism is not just that they are more conservative, uh, it's not just that uh, they have a stricter rules of separation. That is not what I'm talking about. Legalism is a form of uh, belief wherein you have to follow laws in order to be saved. So you're going through legal procedures to merit grace with God. And uh, the word comes that zealously affect you. The idea comes from the thought of to boil. And a desire earnestly, in, in a good sense, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but covet earnestly the best gift. That's a good thing. I mean, you're just passionate. I want this. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 9, and the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. So that word envy there is a passionate zealously, but yet that's not a good thing. With envy, they sold Joseph into Egypt. So, again, this can be good or bad, but in this case, these men are being exposed as evil. They're mean-spirited, uh, they're bigotrous, uh, they have bigotry, they have evil motives, and uh, what they end up doing is they, uh, it's kind of like uh, being in a relationship, some, if you wanted to really get after someone, imagine you get into a relationship with someone, you really don't like them. But you play along, I, sometimes in high school and other things, kids are just absolutely brutal to one another, and, and a guy might like, say he's in a courtship, in a relationship, a dating relationship with a girl, and, and he goes along with her for a while, and then all of a sudden he's playing her, and he dumps her, and that's awful, evil, wicked, I mean, he's just playing with a heart, and, and hurting in a great way. Well, these, these Galatians are being courted by these Judaizers who are getting them to believe that really they care for us, when in fact they don't. All they want you to do is be a part of their party, be a part of their beliefs. Uh, and, and so there, there's a difference. The Apostle Paul evangelizes these guys proselytize. Proselytize is I want to win you to my way of thinking. I don't want to win you to Christ, but I want to win you to my religious beliefs, much like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and, and, and those things, Catholicism. Uh, I want to win you to that. It's just another set of rules, from one set of rules, one set of beliefs, to another set of beliefs, but not from darkness to truth, not from uh, uh, falsehood, not from lies to truth. No, that's not what, but the fact is, win, they want to win the people to their views, and so they're zealous about it. I mean, you think about it, oftentimes the JWs, they're out there and and they can be quite zealous. Uh, they are out there on the, some of the communities and they're doing all sorts of things to win people over to their religious views. 
It's wicked. I mean, their views are wicked, but they're very passionate. You'll have uh, Mormon missionaries. They come and they do their two-year stint, and uh, they're zealous for winning people to the cult of Mormonism. Doesn't mean they're right, but they're very zealous about it. Just as in other religions. Well, you know, there's not a... Paul, though, he loves these people. He's not disinterested. He has a personal love for them. He has a desire that the church moves forward and he wants to win them to a person, Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to win them to a party. He doesn't want to win them to some just theological opinions or theological positions that some man like Joseph Smith, you know, years ago, 1800s or whenever it was, and Charles Taze Russell and all of these crackpots. That's not what they're trying to do. The Apostle Paul says, hey, we didn't just rediscover or somehow find truth 1,800 years after Jesus Christ came. No! Paul is saying, listen, I want you to be where Jesus was. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. Find the freedom and liberty in Jesus, not in some theological position. You know, understand this, when you win someone over Seventh-day Adventist or another, started by <clears throat> a Mary Baker, uh, a female, uh, I think it's Mary Baker Eddy, but I'm drawing a blank on that. I don't, anyways, it was a female, and she had these prophecies that were going to come true, and they never came true, so she's a false prophet. Uh, should, you should throw it out the window in the first place on that basis alone. But nevertheless, Seventh-day Adventists, again, if they can win you over to their argument, you start attending their church, boom, I got a feather in my cap, boom, I've got a, a step up towards heaven, I'm, I'm, I'm on a good path. You know what, I don't want to step up towards heaven, I just want to please Jesus. And uh, the Galatians, in verse 18, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Paul says, it is good to be zealously affected in a good thing, not in an evil thing. Now, Paul was not mean-spirited. He wasn't jealous of these people. He had no objection to people coming to court them. He had no objection to preachers coming and bringing truth to them. But he has an objection to people coming to them and bringing in legalism to add or subtract from the gospel. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. I mean, these people want to slam the door shut on salvation. Their evil goal as far as the unsaved was, you know, that's their goal for the unsaved. The, the, the gospel door would be shut. And you think about all the, the evil that people can do, and, and there's churches all over the place. A church, some churches will be so focused, uh, you know, uh, there was a time back years ago that if someone wore wire rim glasses or uh, maybe your hair was a little spiked or something else, uh, and now I understand there's particular directions, but it, man, if you have that, you are not good. Well, come on now, let's look at the heart. You know, someone walks in the door, maybe they're not dressed well. Oh my, whoa! Who cares? Where's their heart? And what it is, is really. And legalism is changing from one religion to another religion. One form of bondage to another form of bondage. It is not to bring freedom. 
Law and grace are mutually exclusive. They're, they're polar opposite. Law says do, grace says, uh, grace says done. Law says try, grace says trust. Law says it's up to you, grace says it's up to him. Law takes us to Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were. Grace takes us to Mount Calvary. Grace provides not only for the believer to become a child of God, but also for the child of God to become a man of God. Growth is the evidence of the Christian life. And Paul is just yearning and, and, and he desires so strongly for these believers to know Christ and to be strong and, and to say no way to these legalists. This whole idea of you must be circumcised, you've got to keep the Sabbath day, you've got to conform to dietary laws, all one after the other. But Paul then comes from here, and so in verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He says, I want you to be so settled in Christ from the time of your birth and your salvation in Christ, I want, I want you to be just settled on who Jesus is. Not what these legalists are saying. And then the Apostle Paul says in verse 20, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. Paul is saying, listen, I'm a little skeptical based upon what I'm hearing that this, this, this cancer is coming into the church and it is invading and creating such a divisive attitude within the church that I'm not so certain that you haven't settled where Jesus is. Now, this is the problem in many churches today. They don't have a settled doctrinal position on what they believe. I believe this. I believe this. Uh, uh, this might be true. Uh, well, this is what I feel about the Bible. This is what I feel. And you know what? When you have a whole bunch of feelings and all these people talking about what I feel the Bible says and what I feel the Bible says, you have a lot of disagreement. And you're going to get chaos. That's why it's important, and I'm thankful we as a church have a a doctrinal position that we stand. And and Paul's body language towards these people is, man, I want to be with you. I love you. Paul is, he is severe, he's uncompromising, but yet he, I mean, with, he, he's just, he's railing on these people, these Judaizers that want to corrupt the gospel. Is it really that important? Well, if Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man come to the Father but by me, that's pretty exclusive. Any other route will not get you to the way. And so, you know, sometimes letters can come across cold. You know, as Apostle Paul, (laughs) you know, in our modern day, when you text someone, if you make it all bold in the text, then it's what it comes across in your all bold is either you're, you're very passionate, you're either really excited or you're really mad. That's typically when you text someone and it's all bold. You know, it's kind of nice today. I, there was a person that used to attend here and they would text something and I'm like, I couldn't quite tell the tone of their voice. And then they would send it. Then I was like, you should send an emoji with this to kind of figure out where we're going. You know what, emojis are helpful. I mean, who would have thought, you know, 30 years ago, we'd be talking about little emojis. But that little smiley face or whatever sometimes can do a little, a lot to lighten up the tone of that text or a social media message, whatever. So the Apostle Paul doesn't want the letter to just be cold. He says, listen, I want to be with you. Now, 
we come to the heart of tonight's message here in verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? I mean, Paul's tried all sorts of things. Threats, sarcasm, logic, and appeal. And then verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. And it tells us in verse 24 that this is all an allegory. Now, this was legitimately happened in the past, but a story from the past is giving us present-day truths. A considerable part, you know, with the, and here's what happens. These Judaizers and legalists, they appeal to the law of Moses. Well, if you read the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament is filled with the law. So, I mean, you're like, if a large percentage of the Old Testament is speaking about the law, then why don't I need to follow the law? Why is that not contingent upon me coming to salvation? And this is what the Judaizers come in, because they come in when someone who may have a, 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 a lesser understanding of the Scriptures, and they said, let me show you the true way, and they look at the Scriptures, and they say, let's follow the law. See, that's, that's why the Bible calls us to study to show thyself approved unto God. We are to study the Word of God. Acts 17, 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they search the Scriptures daily. A search of the Scriptures will help us to decipher error from truth. To rightly divide the Word of God. And what happens is, is these Judaizers, people... And these Galatians are, feel like they're at home in the Scriptures. They feel like, oh, now that these legalists are showing me the way of truth, man, I, 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 it's, it's making sense. But Paul here, as he says, verse 21, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Paul's saying, why in the world? He, he said, you feel comfortable under the law. Now, <clears throat> can I ask you a question? If you had a law, uh, someone from the law always with you in everything you did. Would you like that? Everywhere you went, every word that you said, you were to have a law enforcement officer always at your side. Would you like that? I don't think any of us would. That man, that would be horrible. Now, the only other, now to have a law enforcement officer always with you Maybe it's your spouse, you know, someone might be married to someone who's law enforcement. Okay, that's a different story. But Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, why do you always want that? Why, why can't you just have the freedom in Christ to love and serve Christ without all, oh, you didn't think that, oh, you didn't do that? Man, that's awful. That's, that's very depressing and discouraging to always have all of this, like, nitpicking every little thing. Now, we as Christians have been called to holiness and purity. And I ought to want to do it. But man, to have it nitpicked against me, man, that's going to drive you batty. That'll drive you to rebellion. It wasn't until when I was growing up, there was all of, you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this. Man, I'm thinking, this is horrible. It made me want to rebel. But when I learned to have a relationship with Christ and the, how it's good to please him and, and the joy of pleasing Christ, you know what, all that stuff that I was told not to do, I now do, but it's not burdensome because I'm doing it because I want to please him rather than now I have to. 
Now, in this allegory, as we find in verse, 23, uh, verse 24, which things are an allegory? Now, verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. So this is a highly allegorical text here, but he tells us, verse 24, it is an allegory. Now, let me give you a few examples of an allegory. Jonathan, a uh, very popular uh, secular allegory is, John, is uh, Jonathan's uh, Swift's Gulliver, Tra- is Gulliver Travels, written by Jonathan Swift. Another one is John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. Very popular. There's a guy that starts off here in the city of destruction, and uh, his name is Graceless, and he, 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 he learns, he meets evangelists, and evangelist tells him, you know, get to the cross, and he gets, once he gets to the cross, his burdens are lifted, and now he becomes Christian. Well, obviously, we see the, the result there. An evangelist, someone's out there giving out the message of Jesus Christ, someone who's on a city of destruction headed towards hell. They get the truth of the gospel. They get to the cross, and their burdens, their burden of sin is rolled away. It's an allegory. But then it's his whole journey from Calvary all the way to the, the celestial city. Eliana and I actually just finished a book on that a little Pilgrim's Big Journey or something like that it was called. It was a good little book, wasn't it? What's that? Yeah, there's a movie about it too. And, uh, but anyways, Paul is expositing the scriptures here. Now I want to show you another allegory. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> I have seen the uh, animated version of the Pilgrim's Progress is about, what, two hours or something like that. It's pretty, pretty decent. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here's another allegory, but the Bible clearly explains it to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about Israel there in the wilderness. And uh, our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They passed through the Red Sea and uh, they were under the cloud that led them day by day. Okay? They we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So, I mean, they went, through, they went through that sea. I mean, there was a cloud there that kept the Egyptians from them, but they went through the Red Sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? They ate manna. Did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed the destroyer. Now here's, in that allegory here, that rock was Christ. When Moses is in the desert, the people are murmuring against him. God says, strike the rock one time. He strikes the rock, water comes out. The striking of that rock is like Christ being smitten And out of Christ and the rock being smitten comes everlasting, you know, living waters. That is the the picture, did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. 
God provided them. Now, the second time when Moses went to a rock and God told him, speak to the rock, Moses smote it, defeating the example and the picture of Christ who was smitten once on the cross. That, he destroyed the illustration that God was trying to do. That rock was Christ. He would be smitten once. He wasn't smitten twice. That's why when Moses hit that rock the second time in anger, God told him, speak to the rock and I'll provide you. Because in the Christian life, God gives us from Christ when we speak to him. He was smitten the first time. He gives us living waters. The second time for our refreshment, we come to him again and talk to him. He doesn't need to, be, he doesn't need to go back to the cross. <clears throat> and so we have a lot of stuff going on here. And Paul draws attention coming back to Galatians chapter 4. Abraham had two sons. Who were the two sons that he had? What two sons did Abraham have? Isaac and Ishmael. There we go. So we have Isaac and Ishmael. Now, Sarah had a bond slave, Hagar. Now, Hagar was of childbearing years. And Sarah... Ask Abraham, because she's already, you know, 75 years of age. And uh, she says, Abraham, I want you to go in to my maid, my bond maid. I want you to marry her, and then I want you to have a child with her. And that child will be our surrogate promise from God. But that woman was still a bond slave. That is important to remember. She was still under the law of Sarah. She was still under, but Sarah was the one the promise was given to. It wasn't given to Hagar. And when Hagar had that child, she looked down her nose at Sarah. Just as a person today who follows all the law, they look down at us and say, you're not doing it right. Abraham would have been content if God had endorsed this dubious escapade. He would have accepted Ishmael as a surrogate child of promise. Genesis 17 tells us that. Now, verse 25. The two covenants, which things are an allegory, verse 24, for these, two are, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? Ten commandments which gendereth to bondage. The Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord. You know, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Excuse me, number one. Number three is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And, and it goes on and on and on and on with ten of these of thou shalt not. All it's doing is giving rules. That is it. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is in his bondage with her children. So Paul then, in verse 23, he's, but he was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Isaac was by promise. Abraham acted in the flesh to produce Ishmael. What does it take for a person today to become a Catholic? Is there any faith in Christ needed? 
What does it take for a person to become a Mormon or a JW or a Seventh-day Adventist? Do they have to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ just as the Bible says? No. It's after the flesh that they become one of these converts. To become a Pharisee or a Jew, they would go through certain rituals to become one of those. It was all of the flesh. Ishmael's birth involved nothing of the supernatural. Hagar was of childbearing years. Her womb was still very much alive. Anyone can produce an Ishmael. Our churches are full of them. You need to talk this way. You need to do this. This is how... I mean, people can be Baptists. They can take on the name Baptist without really ever being a Christian. What is important is Christ. Now, there's a lot of history behind the Baptist, and it's very important, but the birth of Isaac was supernatural. Look with me at Romans chapter 4. I want to show you this. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. What happened to Abraham? Abraham believed God. Physically impossible to have a child. The first coming back, the first covenant there of Moses on Mount Sinai, all it brought was slavery. It was an allegory. That word, uh, verse 24 and 25, at the end of verse 24, which gendereth to bondage. That word gendereth there means beareth children. The, and, and here's what's happening. These Judaizers, these legalists, are using the two sons of Abraham to bolster, to, to, to kind of prop up their arguments towards their legalistic viewpoints. And the Apostle Paul uses their same exact arguments to prove one was a slave, one was free. One was nothing supernatural, the other was completely and absolutely supernatural and only of faith. Hagar represents Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments. That's slavery. The ten, and we've learned here in Genesis chapter 3 that the law was our schoolmaster. All the law said is, hey, you can't be perfect. None of us are perfect. That's all the law does. Hey, we're all dirty, rotten scoundrels. Hagar, Mount Sinai, Jerusalem, bondage of the flesh, Paul ties them all together. Paul looks at the final covenant. Verse 26 and 27, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. The fact here that remains 
is Sarah had a child at almost 90 years old. God opened her womb. 90. When you and I accept Christ, we go from being dead to alive. Impossibly dead, you know, just forever dead to forever alive by faith. That's what he's trying to draw the parallel here. Hagar didn't take any sort of real belief. Hey, she's a young woman. Her womb is still alive. We're going to do it our way. We're going to do it outside of the promises of God. We are going to input our thoughts into God's promises, and then we'll, make, we'll make, say, hey, God has provided for us a child. We'll fill, we'll fill in for God. But the earthly Jerusalem was rejected. This is where Christ was crucified. You realize that Jerusalem in the, old, in the uh, Revelation is called Sodom and Egypt? It's such a wicked place. And, and Jerusalem today is a very wicked place. We come to a further description of the heavenly Jerusalem given in the epistle of Hebrews about Mount Sinai. Look with me here at Hebrews chapter 12. I'm hasting on this, but I wanted to... Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. We'll come back to Galatians. Hebrews 12, 18 and 19. I hope this passage of Scripture is coming together and if you... A little confused on it, it's making sense. Hagar was a bond slave. She was still under the law. She was the law. She was all of the law, you know? And, and she was indebted to her mistress and Abraham. Yes, Abraham had Ishmael, but the law was still binding on them. But Isaac came by promise with no strings attached, but what God had said. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words. The idea here is Mount Sinai, the contrast here. And the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Here's the fact. All indications that the Moses, Moses' covenant uh, inflicted a terror. If, you, if you'll go back to Exodus, when Moses came down from the mountain, he shone because he had been in the presence of God. They said, Moses, cover your face and please don't let God talk to us. We want you to talk to us. We don't want God to... I mean, they're just terrified of Moses. Verse uh, 22. But ye are come unto the Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. A heavenly Jerusalem given here of the two covenants. One was terrifying. The other is unspeakable joy. The heavenly Jerusalem. Again, Galatians is emphasizing freedom in Christ over the bondage of legalism. We draw our citizenship from the heavenly Jerusalem. Paul, the, the Apostle Paul would speak of heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, about being in, uh, seeing it there. But 
what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 31, so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. He wants, and, and even in all of this, Galatians, settle it in your heart who Jesus is. Settle it in your heart whether you're going to follow rules or you're going to believe in Jesus by faith. Now, there are some who are saved, and then they start getting confused with all this. There are people that, who are legitimately, potentially legitimately saved but might believe you can lose your salvation. But man, that is not a way to live in bondage to I could lose the gift that God's given me. That's not a gift. I, 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 I certainly believe that there are some, man, but they believe wrong doctrine and they've placed a heavy burden and chains about them. Paul drives home the point here by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. How was Isaac born? The Bible tells us it was by faith. We also find something. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Isaac was promised to Abraham over 20, some 25 years or more to Abram, later called Abraham, father of many nations. And Israel has become a vast nation. But we don't hear much, you know, necessarily much about Ishmael. Now, obviously, I know we have the Arabs in that, that uh, struggle that there as well. But the prominence of the scriptures is upon the nation of Israel. Isaac was born by faith. How are we born again? By faith. How was Isaac formed in Sarah's womb when her womb was dead? By faith. How was Christ formed in our hearts? By faith. Did the law have anything to do with Isaac's birth? No. Did the law have anything to do with our rebirth? No. Was it some kind of effort on the parents' part to, to have Isaac born? Now, obviously, I understand there's a physical aspect there, but nevertheless, Abraham and Sarah were dead in the area of childbearing years. They're dead. There's nothing on performance. I mean, they could be husband and wife day in and day out, but it doesn't matter. Physically impossible but by faith. Ishmael, there was no faith required. John chapter 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You can become a convert to any religion without any spiritual transformation. It doesn't take much. Just go through whatever they require to become that person. God doesn't bless the flesh. Now Ishmael did prosper, but in a carnal way. Genesis 17, 20, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. So yes, God did bless him. But when you try to keep the law and the energy of your flesh, it doesn't produce anything in God for eternity. We must trust God to keep his promises. Verse 29, But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. 
Because Ishmael wanted the place of promise that Isaac had, which was impossible for him to get. Ishmael was still the bondwoman's son. For 13 years before Isaac came on the scene, Ishmael was Abraham's pride and joy. Now Isaac comes on the scene and he's cast aside. People may cherish religious icons, religious projects, but they are works of us, not of the Holy Spirit of God. When Isaac was weaned, Ishmael mocked him. The Arabs today mock and hate the Jewish people. That which is going on today over in Gaza and the Middle East and in Israel today goes back, all the way back then. Muslims live by law and they don't, and, and Christians live by faith. Now I understand a lot of Jewish people live by the law as well. They don't have the peace of God. They don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know what it's like to have a relationship with God. They're just going through some rules. So they also live by the law. But there is a battle that still rages. Why have so many Christians, more than 50 million Christians, been killed through the centuries for saying, I will not bow down to Caesar. I will not baptize my infants. I will not be married in a state church. I'm going to serve Jesus by faith. Because religion forces it, you must be this way. No, I don't. That's not what the Bible says. And the Bible gives us liberty that religion never does. Someone who's under that bondage, they want to bring you back into that bondage. Because that's of Satan. Satan's in bondage. I mean, the arch persecutor of the church, the leading legalists, the bit, most bitter enemies of the Apostle Paul and the early church, who was, before the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, who was one of the most fierce, hated, despised men, enemies of the, of the early church in Jerusalem? That was the Apostle Saul. It was Saul. He was a legalist. And he hated Christians because they were of the way they defied the law. They didn't do it just the way we did. They didn't do it all these, they didn't dot all their I's and cross their T's just like we did. In verse 30, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. You know what? Yes, there was, Sarah had to say Ishmael, and, and Is, Sarah said, get Ishmael out of here. She's making fun of Isaac. She's hurting him. Get him out of here. You know what we ought to do? Have no compromise with the flesh. No compromise. Religion and legalism is of the flesh. Do all these prayers. Say your rosary. Get catechized. Infant baptism. Blah, 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 blah. Go through all of it. That's wearisome. That's of the flesh. You don't need any of the Holy Spirit. You, don't, you can do it in your own power, all of those actions but it just puts a heavy weight on you. That stands in contrast to the freedom we have in Christ. I just accepted Jesus, what he said. I'm a sinner, I'm a wicked man, and Jesus died on that cross to forgive me of all that I have. You realize in Romans 7, 18? Let's look at here, Romans 7, 18. 
I am almost done. Romans chapter 7 is the Apostle Paul struggling with his flesh. He wants to do right, but he finds himself doing wrong when he wants to do right. And when he wants to stay right, he ends up doing wrong, you know. And he, he just, there's that battle going on in verse 18 of Romans 7. Romans chapter 7 is really the struggle against sin. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. You ever find days that maybe, maybe you haven't been in the Word of God in that particular day, and you find yourself doing things, you're like, why am I doing this? I would have never done this. Why, why do I feel this way? Why are all these thoughts and certain things coming? Well, because you've made a choice to not be, you know, really spend time with God, get His Holy Spirit empowerment for that day. You haven't had spiritual meat for that day, and so you're spiritually starving, and uh, you're, you're giving into the flesh, and, and you find, hey, my heart, man, there were things that come to your heart, and you're like, how do, where in the world did that come from? I'm a wicked, you know, I'm wicked. And Paul, man, he shuts that door so hard in the legalist's face. You cannot please God by keeping the law. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 7, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The flesh cannot keep God's law. It is God's enemy. Paul says, get it out of here. Be done with it. And Paul brings his converts. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bond, bondwoman, but of the free. He says, listen, we're Abraham's children. But we're not just Abraham's children because of lineage, descendants. We're Abraham's children because we're children of the promise, we're children that put our faith in Jesus. And we enter into that very promises of him. By the Holy Spirit of God, and yielding to God's Spirit upon your guilty soul, convicting you of all your sinfulness, you can accept Christ and be freed. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit, as Isaac was. Abraham was satisfied with Ishmael for many years. But here's the fruit of his own self-effort. Drastic measures had to be taken. You have to get rid of legalism and just learn to walk in faith. Hagar represents law-keeping. Ishmael represents its sorry results. The law as a means of salvation and sanctification might offer the soul something for a period of time, but it's only a counterfeit. Sarah represents faith in the promises of God as a means of salvation and sanctification the real thing. So Paul stands it here. Where are you going to make your decision? Let there be no compromise. You either go one way or the other, but stop trying to court both. You make a decision. And I tell you, the right decision, legalism, all of this is of the flesh, and it's not freeing. Faith in Christ Walk by faith in Christ daily, and you'll walk in liberty. As you think on these truths this evening, loyalty undermined. Yes, you can, you know what, there's oftentimes an individual in a particular culture, you know, if you're French, you're Catholic, if you're Arab, you're Muslim, 
All those sorts of thoughts go through a mind. If you're this culture, then you're automatically this religious belief. You don't need to be that. I, if, if you're human, I can be a child of God. It doesn't matter what tradition is. Let go of tradition and go with truth. And this evening, may you undermine the loyalty to any tradition and keep your faith settled on Jesus Christ. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, just for a moment here, I trust that the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart. Stop trying to follow all these rules and instead get to know Christ. Walk by faith. Sure, he'll give you some guidelines and boundaries to not cross for freedom. But it's not oppressive, it's actually keeping you from bondage. The, the boundaries that God sets are for your good, not your hurt and aim. If you've never accepted Christ this evening and you're watching, I trust, you let go of legalism and trust Jesus alone as your personal Savior. 